podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Some good news for Baylor and Oklahoma. It ain't over yet, boys. I am Philip Slavin, and this is the 1012 podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Latest college football playoff rankings came out. Oklahoma sitting at six, Baylor at seven, and Oklahoma State staying ranked down at number 25. That is good news for the Bears and the Sooners. It gives them both a ranked win. And I feel good. I know Utah is at five ahead of them. I know the belief is that the committee likes Utah better than Oklahoma and Baylor. They have the argument of Utah has been dominant in their wins. And for the Big 12 fans who are trying to knock Utah's schedule and say they haven't played anybody and they don't have a ranked win, and I get it. I get it. But Utah has dominated everybody they've beaten outside of the lost USC. They have won big. They have looked impressive. If you have watched Utah at all, and I get the feeling most of you haven't, They've looked really good. In fact, you can argue some of the game teams that, that on, on talent-wise that Utah has played are on par with some of the Big 12 teams that Oklahoma has played. And Utah has looked more impressive in those games than Oklahoma has in theirs. Now, OU looked really good against Oklahoma State this past weekend in Bedlam. It's a good thing that Oklahoma State is still ranked. That helps Oklahoma. Here's my opinion. I think Oklahoma is fine. I think Oklahoma is a good spot to actually jump Utah. I know that sounds crazy, but if Oklahoma has a big win over Baylor, I think they can do it. I think Baylor is going to have a harder time getting in unless Utah loses. Baylor has the problem of too many close wins. Baylor and Utah's schedules are very similar. Utah has dominated theirs. Baylor has not. If Baylor wins the Big 12 and Utah wins the Pac-12, Utah is in, the Big 12 is out. If Oklahoma wins the Big 12 and does so in dominant fashion and Utah wins, I think Oklahoma can jump Utah. I don't think it's completely out of the question. And I think it's a real possibility. Obviously, this weekend's games are big 
Also big for the rest of the Big 12 as everybody waits to find out where they're going to go bowling. Will two Big 12 teams make the New Year's Six? I think that's possible even if one of them doesn't go to a playoff game. You telling me the Cotton Bowl, who's probably going to end up getting whichever group of five team makes it to the New Year's Six Bowls, would not take Baylor, a team with a lot of fans in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They're just going to skip Baylor so they can take, what, Wisconsin? A lower-ranked Alabama team? Nah. Man, Cotton Bowl's going to look at that and go, give us Baylor Memphis. We can sell some tickets. And that's a fun-looking game. Let me be honest. It means a lot for the rest of the Big 12. Where do Oklahoma State, Texas, Iowa State, and Kansas State go bowling this season? We will find out this Sunday after all the games are wrapped. Before we get to part two of our round table, and it's a fun one. And I'm going to be honest, I don't say much in it, and that's because uh, the inmates took over the asylum, and it's predominantly we're just going to be talking about which teams underachieved this year. And there is some interesting conversation about the disrespect that the Big 12 gets in college is kind of reversed of the respect they seem to get in the NFL. There's a lot of the what the Big 12 does in the NFL, and I think we're also a little tired of the SEC getting credit for offense this year even though they're just doing what the Big 12 has been doing for a decade. Anyways, really good episode. Love the roundtable. Before we get to it, the Big East and Big 12 battle starts tonight. This is an awesome scheduling decision between the Big 12 and the Big East in basketball. Two of the best conferences in college basketball. Oklahoma State welcoming Georgetown to Stillwater. Texas Tech heading to Chicago to face DePaul. If you want to watch that Oklahoma State-Georgetown game, which should be a good one, you're going to need ESPN+. Plus. It's easy to get. All you got to do, go check out our Twitter account at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Find the tweet, pin to the top, click the link, get signed up, and catch that game. There are Big 12 games on ESPN Plus all week. And if you want to watch one of the first two games in this Big 12 Big East battle, you're going to need it. So go get yourself signed up. Spend the $4.99. It is fantastic. I know there's been some technical issues in the past. It really has been great. All right, all that said... Do us a favor, leave us a rating, five stars, leave a review. I love to read them, even if they're mean or snarky. I just appreciate you taking the time to type one out. All right, I'm done talking. You're not going to hear much of me for the rest of the show. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Okay, so let's let's redirect here a little bit. I want to talk about some... This is a season that a lot of teams had a, a lot of high expectations that <clears throat> did not quite live up to them. and But I'm not sure that all of them are necessarily disappointments. Um, obviously, you look at Texas and say it's a disappointment because they were picked to finish second. They were coming off a big season, although you could argue Bill Connolly kind of predicted this by saying that last year's team overachieved and this year's team probably underachieved, but... This is really what Texas is. It's not the decade that Mac Brown had them winning 11 games every year. That's that's the outlier, not the the norm. But then you can look at Iowa State. We can talk about TCU. We can talk about. Um, I still don't understand why some of the national media had West Virginia go into a bowl game, although they did finish close to doing so. So I'm I'm curious from each of you, which team do you think was had the most disappointing season for whatever reason that may be and uh, and leave i'm gonna let you start this one uh i'm gonna say it's us i because the funny thing is you can look at iowa state and baylor they're basically identical teams but baylor got essentially and actually uh, i think it was uh bills or no um um 
oh, I can't remember what his name is. He used to work for SP Nation, works for ESPN now. Um, does like S and P plus Bill Connolly. Bill Connolly. Yes, he explained it. He explained it out that basically that Baylor and Iowa State are essentially the same team, but Baylor got all of the roles and Iowa State got none of the roles essentially. And now, you know, part of it is you create your own luck and and um, things like that. And it was weird too because Iowa State is like far and away the least penalized team in the Big Twelve, but all of those penalties came at the worst possible time, every time. And they, the defense didn't create turnovers at the beginning of the season. They, they picked it up a little bit more recently, um, but the offense took a little bit to get going. They were putting up yardage, not putting up points. And then they eventually started doing that and they rattled off a couple wins. And then all of a sudden we, I don't know, there was, there was different reasons that each game didn't work out, but you know, we, yeah, you come into the season expecting, you know, trying to, you know, I don't know if it's expecting, but you're looking at, you know, there's, there's eight wins on the schedule for sure. And you can maybe get to nine or even 10, depending on how the, how the bounces go. Um, unfortunately, almost none of the bounces went our way. And, um, you know, you lost the first four games by a total of 11 points. And even, and even yesterday you felt like the one, the one special teams blunder at the very beginning of the game, uh, basically killed the game from the start. Uh, now there was a lot of other things that happened during the game that prevented Iowa State from winning that, um, namely just getting totally outmuscled on the, on the line of scrimmage. Um, but when you lose, you know, four games by a total of 11 points and they're all like totally self-inflicted gunshot wounds, you know, like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really frustrating and you just feel like a team that is, has always been so good at not beating itself, it beat itself so many times that it ended up in a seven, five, ended up a seven, five record for a roster and a coaching staff that was far, that should have been far better than seven, five. My argument against Iowa State is you replace David Montgomery. Yeah. You, which was, I just, everyone kept downplaying it. You are going to a bowl game for the third year in a row, which is only the second time it's been done in school history. And you're still winning. Like, I, I understand based off of preseason expectations to finish third. And technically, Iowa State kind of tied for third because I have no idea how to deal with the tiebreak rules for four teams at five and four in conference play. I understand that the uh, the expectations have been level has been raised because of of what Matt Campbell has done, but I also don't know that that they. I think they're more disappointing teams, but I get the point. Wait, but like, you know especially what? for they, Iowa State, they had to replace Dave Montgomery and Hakeem Butler, but they yeah, but far and away the best. They scored a record number of points. They blew the yardage total right out of the right out of the water. You know the the production was there and re- was replaced and, and improved upon in every single facet, basically. There, now, the overall rushing game may not have been quite as good, but the, the, the offense as a whole moved the ball a thousand times better. So you could, I guess, say addition by subtraction, but addition by modification, I guess. Um, you know, so, I, I, you know, you can say, you know, maybe they didn't have Dave Montgomery that could there and just manufacture five yards out of nothing. Even Brees Hall still did that. You know, he still is doing that a little bit as a freshman. Um, but you know, I, I, I think that it got downplayed and simultaneously also kind of overblown because in, in very specific situations, you're just thinking, well, wow, that'd be nice to have Dave Montgomery there. But as, as a whole, um, the offense was moved, it, the offense moved the ball a thousand times better, um, in this version of the offense that wasn't so reliant on two playmakers. Um, so I don't think sure. that was even, that was even an issue. It was just, it was red zone offense at the beginning. Well, it was, <laughs> 
it was funny. It actually wasn't even red zone offense. It, it was, it wasn't anything really between the, the 40 yard lines or the, even the 30 yard lines. As soon as they got, as soon as they started approaching the red zone, the offense started to stall out at the beginning of the year. And they're missing some, yeah, a couple of critical turnovers here and there, a couple of critical penalties, some missed field goals, you know, just little stupid little mental mistakes that shouldn't, you know, that, that good solid teams take care of. They just didn't do it. And that's, that's what was so frustrating is because you felt like, I, th- I think I even tweeted this out after the Oklahoma loss saying like, I, I'm not convinced that Iowa State has played a team that went like when Iowa State is playing at full bore and the other team is playing at full bore. I'm, I wasn't convinced that Iowa State had played a team that was better than when both teams, if both teams were playing at full capacity. And I still, I still think that, I mean, not, not to, certainly not to downplay Oklahoma's season at all, but like we saw in this, like we saw in the second half of, the, of that game there, that when, when I would say it's offense is cooking, when the defense is staying aggressive, they can, they can totally smother mm-hmm. that defense can smother anybody and they can move the ball on just about anybody that, you know, it, the, especially in that game. And when you look at it in its entirety, like Iowa state, yeah, they had what three, four, three and outs the first couple quarters right. and early in the third quarter. But man, when they, whenever they got a first down, I mean, they were averaging over seven, right. I six, mean, seven, eight yards. I would say even you know, up until like the last week or two, like up until like the last game or two. I mean, they were like fourth in the country in yards per play or something like that. I mean, they the offense could move the ball on mm-hmm. just pretty much anybody, and they just you know early in the season they just mm-hmm. weren't converting it into points, and there was you know other things in, in later in games. You know, Oklahoma State did a good job. Now part of it was Iowa State just totally bailed on the run, and then Oklahoma State made a good adjustment to just to drop extra drop an extra robber on the linebacker in the pass, and that's how you generated those three interceptions late in the game because um, they they were the play calling allowed them to make that adjustment. Um, you know, I'm wondering though how much were their statistics skewed by that gigantic performance against ULM at the beginning of the year. And then just the fact that, you know, when their offense really started to get churning, they, they really started to then play some of the defenses that were dealing with some very serious issues or that were having issues with the running game specifically. Um, you know, I mean, what, what really stuck out to me about this Iowa state team was that they were extremely inconsistent and yet they were fairly opportunistic um, where, you know, they were able to take advantage of situations where they could pile up a bunch of offensive yards and a bunch of offensive statistics right. because either the, the team that they were playing against was so far ahead or just not really caring, or they had essentially beaten them into submission and then continued to pile on at that point. So I don't know how much of it was them in, you know, game situations that we would consider to be non-garbage time um, where you would actually consider their, you know, performance to be that much better than it was last year. Well, but even I if just, you look at it, even if you look at a game like very... Iowa, even if you look at it, look at the Iowa game where they didn't put up a ton of points, and you could say, well, the offense didn't look that great. They still averaged like nine point, like nine yards a play against Iowa. They still averaged like eight, like uh, just shade, just shade under eight yards a play or something like that against Baylor. Like even against the good defenses, they put up a really good yards per play where the, the offense was still moving the ball really well. You know, consistently. You know, Baylor was the first, you know, the first three quarters didn't look great. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter is still a close game. So Baylor had definitely not stopped playing or stopped caring or whatever, whatever you said, or whatever. They, they came back. Oklahoma, I guarantee you, even up two scores did not stop playing at the beginning at halftime or whatever, you know? So you can, I mean, you can chalk maybe some, well, that actually, you know, and that's part of it too, is that with that, as many close games as Iowa State played this year, you could argue that they didn't have, you know, there was only one game they actually played real garbage time in and that was the ULM game. You know, they they didn't really they basically never played garbage time 
you know, I hate to do this to Melissa, but maybe the fourth quarter. Yeah, I was gonna. Maybe the fourth quarter of the TCU game was quote unquote garbage time, but like it was still it wasn't it wasn't a blowout by any standards. I'm gonna disagree. I guess we need to get her live reaction here because it just got reported that TCU is not focused on making yeah, staff changes. No, that's that's old news. But um, yeah, I, I don't I I don't anticipate there being a significant uh, staff change on TCU football. I could see a reorganization. Uh, Patterson's done that before, but unless somebody comes calling for Sonny Cumbie, which I don't anticipate happening. I fully expect him to be on staff. I think someone in the Big 12 um, needs to become yikes. a triple option team. I don't care who it is, but someone needs I, to do it. Here, here's I'm, I'm going to throw a little I'll throw a little point here. I've been really annoyed. Um, I, I was really nice to Baylor fans after the TCU-Baylor game. I wrote a really nice article. I praised the rivalry being back, blah, blah, blah. The minute that Patterson says anything in a press conference, they immediately get on Twitter, well, rule would never, rule would never. Well, everybody's going to sit here and poo-poo Gary Patterson for not getting rid of Sunday Cumbie after – two years of um, offensive ineptitude, which I do think is partially due to play calling, but also there are a lot of other factors uh, that go into why the TC offense has been so putrid the last couple of years. But then on the same breath, our praising rule who comes out and says, I don't believe in firing coaches. I don't fire coaches. I've only let one coach go and it was a mutual decision. And they're saying how great that is that he all oh, rule would never, he would never say bowl games are for the kids and they're stressful for coaches. He would never fire a coach he would never do this and then saying tcu really needs to make changes they underachieved they need to really look hard it is gary patterson really cut out to continue to do this like it's just the dumbest stupidest thing um but yeah so um i i fully expect Cumby to be back i don't know if he'll be calling plays by himself um or calling plays at all i think that uh, they may give him an option of saying hey, you're going to stay on as quarterback coach and lead recruiter, but you're going to either get some help calling plays. Maybe Curtis Looper is an option. Uh, maybe Malcolm Jenkins, the wide receiver coach, is an option. But um, I, I fully expect him to be around, maybe just in a slightly different role um, in 2020. And I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I, it's, it's definitely concerning. But by the same token, I don't know that switching over the entire offense when you're going to have a sophomore quarterback or potentially a redshirt sophomore in Matthew Baldwin, you're replacing both of your running backs. You're replacing a big portion of your offensive line. Um, you're losing, you know, who should have been the greatest receiver in TCU history, but we couldn't figure out how to get him to stinking ball this year uh, to the NFL and Jalen Rager. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I, I would argue that TCU is the most disappointing team in the big 12 this year for all of the, uh, above reasons and many more um and that is just going to be icing on the cake when nothing changes I, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna cut into this because the most disappointing team in the big 12 is texas right i mean i know we've based on what iowa state and based on the fact that texas is they, back baby based on who they no, think they are, is it, or who the rest no of ba- know. i guess i guess i guess based on based on the idea that and i have the same perception heading into the season that I expect them to lose to LSU. I expect them to lose to OU and I expected them to have one, you know, I expect them to go nine and three. I I expected their talent and to to pan out and the talent to be able to take them to win games. Like I guess in the essence of how OU you had told Texas fans three years ago that we would have seven wins and added to a bowl game and had a chance (laughs) to win eight. I think people would be pretty happy. Overall, we did a great oh, job. I'm, I'm so awesome. happy you just said that. <laughs> but, I can't believe we just used the Iowa State justification <laughs> that- for a good season on Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, yeah. that wasn't us. 
That was but all. But the one reason that I would argue you know, I was Texas big on at this the, point, go ahead. because I don't think you know, I, I agree. I had the same sort of expectations for for Texas coming into the year, but I don't think anyone expected them to deal with all the injuries they had to deal with. No one expected them to be using their fifth string running back, who also you know was a I think the the third string quarterback to be the guy for them at running back this year, and he actually broke out and had a decent year. Like nobody expected Texas to deal with as many injuries as they had to, and then when they finally finally got guys back at that point they were playing against teams that were able to take advantage of the deficiencies they had on defense and the fact that they did not have that chemistry that you build up over the course of a season i mean texas yes was disappointing mm-hmm. but there's no way you can say that they're the most disappointing because of all the injury issues that they had to deal with this year i agree i, I agree with that but i guess so you look at that iowa state game like texas should have won that football game they didn't uh, i the credit to iowa state they pulled um, they get obviously curb stomped in Waco, um, TC, the TCU game, they get, they get seen on hate and Lee beat, but I, I just, I guess I expected them to be able to go win those games despite all that, just because of the talent that they had. But at the end of the day, this is who Texas is. And this is who Texas actually has always been outside of the 2000. So what millennial, you uh, yeah, what millennial, I, you fell what millennial I am to think that they were just capable of being able to for come the, out for on the, the record at the beginning game. of the season. I don't even remember whose podcast is on. I did actually predict Texas to be eight and four or like, I think that might've been mine. I had, I had, I said eight and four with the ability of being worse to be, to be fair. So the, my, my lack of disappointment in Texas is mostly because I had low expectations to begin with. Yeah, actually, I think I think that was you arguing with me on mine because I thought that Texas was going to be second, no worse than third. Um, yeah, and Baylor I now to be better. fair, I also argued that Oklahoma could be a four-loss team, but that obviously didn't pay. Well, out. well, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't think that you win some, you lose some. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be fair, to be fair though, if Iowa State gets the gets the pass interference call on the, on the two-point conversion at the end of that game, or Brock Purdy finds a wide-open Charlie Kohler on the goal line. And then maybe they one call yeah. Jalen Hurt short of the line of scrimmage, which one in America knows he was. Yeah, he got it on that third down. He got it on that so, second down. So I wasn't play. like that wrong on that because they were really close to losing a couple extra games. Mm-hmm. No, that's and turnovers will do that. Turn. I mean, they're they're a game changer. And I'll say this: I getting to cover them this year and being around Alex Grinch. He kept saying this takeaways equal victory and two turnovers a game equals nine wins. And this was this big, you know, quotes and all this stuff about it. And I'm just like, man, I just, I guess I, with OU the last couple of years, the turnovers haven't really been there from the defense and I didn't really believe it. And then you look at what Jalen Hurts just gifting Iowa State, you know, good field position that game. Gifting TCU, not gifting, but the, the pick six and getting, yeah. gifting them a touchdown. You know, like, it, it's it's crazy, you know, trying to cover this team and to come up with score predictions and to come up with how games are going to go because it, you can't take away the turnovers that they've had. But at the same time, if you do, they're they're beating both – they're beating – they're winning those games by two or three touchdowns. And it, it so it's uh, it's been a wild one covering them this last month. I was very disappointed I didn't get to see an absolute thriller in Stillwater like I did in Waco and – um and at home against Iowa State and TCU but yeah I, I, the the coaching job and I, I know that this may go into the homerish range here but the coaching job Lincoln Riley did this year was so impressive just because Jalen Hurts is not a, I mean I I promise you he's never going to have a quarterback up maybe in the rest of his career that's incapable of making the throws that makes Oklahoma offense what it is and he's made an adjustment to it 
um, in Stillwater on Saturday, just being able the way that he basically said, just screw it, we're going to run it, and we're going to run it, and we're going to run it, and then just continue to do it because that's what fits their strengths, um, was very impressive. And he was, he's been very smug the last two weeks in the, uh, the post-game press conferences, which um, should come no surprise to anybody with them continuing to gain ground and making a playoff. Well, when you're, so when before you're we get team, too far uh, – I just want to ahead. make one comment. When you're a team who you have watched your team not make adjustments, it is incredibly impressive to see a coach, especially one with an ego, a deserved ego like Lincoln Riley has, continue to say, okay, what I want to do isn't working. Let's do something else. I mean, he did the same thing against TCU. They ran for – 336 yards and and the biggest the best defensive play for the frogs was Jalen Hurts missing wide open receivers so I, mm-hmm. I think you're you're not being homerish at all it, what what Riley did this year he's not going to be in the competition for coach of the year but this is the best coaching job he's done of, of his time in, in Norman in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah so so to, to jump back to what the the question was about which was the most disappointing team my my last comment on on Texas was that if you know if they didn't have Dick or the kicker to save them from both of the Kansas schools, then I think we could say that Texas was the most disappointing. Um, but I think it actually has to go to a different Texas team. And I originally was thinking TCU, but I figured that Melissa would be all over that one. Um, so I'm actually going to go with the, with, with Texas Tech. You know, you, you can talk about the injury to Alan Bowman um, as kind of one of the big reasons that their season went downhill. But to be honest, he was not playing that well before he got injured. Um, you know, they were having all kinds of problems. They had the huge loss against against Arizona that honestly was inexplicable. Um, You know, they had a couple good games where their defense jumped up and caught a few people, but overall the offense that was expected to kind of be the steadying force for this team, you know, and, and, and most people that were talking about the four new coaches in the big 12, everybody pointed to Matt Wells at Texas tech as having the best situation, you know, and, and being the best set up to immediately have success and to be able to go ahead and make it to a bowl game. And they finished second to last in the conference. And, they, and I mean, not having Alan Bowman hurts. I mean, I think he's, I think, I think the world of him as a quarterback, but that's the thing. He was not playing very well. And I, you know, I talked with a couple Texas tech guys and they specifically said that what, that what the offensive coordinator wanted to do, Alan Bowman was not well suited for that. Jet Duffy was a much better quarterback for what he wanted to do. And while Jet Duffy athletically probably was not as good of a quarterback as Alan Bowman, he was a much better fit for their offense. And we saw when the, when a much better fit for the offense came in, he was not very good, to be honest. You know, Texas Tech had problems all over the place. And I, I think that Matt Wells will be a good hire for them long term. But, in com- you know, compared to the expectations they had coming in, which I thought were realistic expectations, they underachieved severely. What were their expectations? There was, I've, there was I did not feel they underachieved at all. See, I, I, everybody that I talked to, and, and there was a lot of people thinking that Texas Tech was going to make a bowl this year, or at, at the very mm. least be five and seven. And, you know, they, yeah, they, they ended up being four and eight, but, you know, they lost to Kansas, which nobody expected. Um, you know, they had to jump up and surprise a couple teams with, you know, defensive performances that honestly were completely out of character for them, uh, for that to even, you know, be a, be a possibility. It's so funny to hear defensive uh, that was out of character for them with the Texas Tech team. Still haven't gotten over that one. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to uh, – I, I know Philip may have another subject, but I just want to touch on something with this. Heading into this season, I, I expected the defenses to be better in the conference. I expect – you know, and especially in my neck of the woods with Alex Grinch at Oklahoma and getting rid of Mike Stoops. I, I, obviously, I expected an uptick to happen, but – I went to Waco and I expected there to be offense. I didn't expect to be leaving that game to be thinking 
this may be just as physical of a conference as the SEC is. I mean, even in the Bedlam, there was there was hitting going on. That OU-Baylor game in the fourth quarter when we were able to get down on the field, I mean, helmets were popping on every play. And so maybe that's, that's, a, that's a sign that heading into these next few years that that physicality that is going to be there. And I don't want to take any credence away from the last three years of what Oklahoma has been able to do in the, and make a playoff game and do this and that. But that's going to prepare who – say Baylor – say somebody else besides Oklahoma in these next three years ends up going to a college ball playoff. Like, that's going to prepare the physicality of the conference and the defenses that are being played in the conference. That's going to prepare them for postseason play. And I, I think that's a huge, huge point to look at, um, especially heading, uh, heading off of this year and heading into next year. I mean, Iowa State, too. I, I think Iowa State's going to continue – they're going to get better defensively as it continues to go on. Um, TCU as well, um, Baylor. You, you look at those schools, and I mean, there is some hitting going on in this conference this year, and it's been very. You know, it's wild though, is because well, college football in general works in cycles. Now we now, obviously, football just being the way it was, there's never been previously a an air raid cycle, but pretty consistently, and we're seeing it now, where the Big Twelve has been about five years ahead of its time or five to 10 years ahead of its time a little bit when it comes to offense and defense and stuff like that. Because at first you, you know, you had everybody that was just run, 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 run the ball, you know, running out of center. I, it's funny. I, I watched, I watched Ohio state for the first time all season this past Saturday and uh, they ran some stuff from under center. I was like, what the hell are they doing? And, uh, but they, you know, they still run a lot and lots of, uh, you know, big 12 type concepts. You want to go down to be super general about it. Um, but now all of a sudden you see, LSU starting to bring in more air raid types, you know, not air raid. I should, I, I, I want to avoid it, but that's, you know, kind of the way, the way kind of the spread best way offense, to it I think anyways. is what you're talking about. Sure. Well, it's, well yeah, even spread though, spread offenses can still be, can, yeah, maybe that's the best way to describe it. I call it. Oklahoma's offense. offense the power raid, if that, if that helps. So, well, and that's, and that's, this is where I'm going with it though, is because, you know, you know, five to 10 years ago, you know, you had true, true blue air raid teams. Texas Tech was a true air raid team. You know, you could argue West Virginia last year was a true air raid team. You know, um, you know, and there was there was more TCU was it was a sort of a half air raid team when you know back in like fourteen with Trevon Boykin, and uh, Baylor was an air raid team. You had lots and lots of true blue air raid teams that just threw the ball basically every time. Um, but now you have. The, the passing games still include a lot of those, a lot of the concepts from those roots, but they're going back to being more, more balanced or even run heavy. Um, I mean, is there any, I don't know if there's any offense in the big 12 left that is, you know, you would, you would categorize as an air raid offense. I mean, I guess, I mean, not no. even really Texas tech anymore with Jed Duffy, you know, like, you know, cause you got, Iowa state, Kansas state, Texas, Baylor, all run a, a pretty balanced scheme, you know, they're fairly similar. Obviously, Kansas State is more definitely skewed run heavy. Iowa State is a little bit more skewed pass heavy, but all of them run a pretty balanced thing. Oklahoma runs sixty percent run or whatever, so they're actually they're actually on the run heavy side of all of this. TCU is on the is on, is very is skewed skewed run heavy. West Virginia is pretty balanced. You know, Kansas is fairly balanced. Well, actually, they were a little bit run heavy with Puka this year. You know, they you know. So you actually have a, a lot of really balanced offenses that are just also still really good because they still retained all of those air raid passing concepts, but now they just run the ball more. And it's still being, it's still being perceived as, oh, all they do is throw the ball, a lot, a lot, a lot. They don't, you know, they don't really play defense. It's like, well, no, 
we got really, really good at throwing the ball there for a few years. And now we're still really good at throwing the ball, but now we realize that it's also beneficial to run the ball and we're getting back to that. So now you're seeing, now you're seeing SEC and big 10 teams start to finally, you know, follow the wagon trail a little bit around and you know and now more and more teams the nfl is following it now too where they're hiring guys like cliff kingsbury gets fired from texas tech and ends up in the nfl you know you know so you you have that kind of stuff you have guys like kyler murray being you know being number one draft picks that you know he wouldn't have had a shot in the shot in the world of being a number one draft pick even five years ago but now he does because the nfl likes the likes likes the uh spread air raid style offense um and then it's and it's moving that way because people realize that that's just a better way to run. It's just a better way to move the football. Well, and it's it kind of is. funny because, like you're talking about, like the Big Twelve has pioneered a lot of offensive concepts that a lot of NFL teams have really, oh, yeah. really embraced. You know, Kansas City. They're leaning Kansas into City, it. Andy Reid consistently talks about how he goes to Big Twelve teams and scouts Big Twelve teams to look for new things to plug yep. into his offense. And getting a guy like Patrick Mahomes coming from the Big Twelve, running a lot of that, you know, they're using a lot of RPOs that are now kind of what's hitting their stride in the Big Twelve right. that no one else in college is really doing consistently. But you know And you know what happened you know what happened last offseason? Iowa State had 38 different teams, including 12 NFL franchises, come in to learn the defensive defensive scheme that is built around stopping that style of offense. So now all of a sudden they're picking up Big 12. All of a sudden everybody's really interested in learning Big huh. 12 defense. Yeah, the NFL's coming Funny in and how that works. The, uh, <laughs> going into Lincoln Riley meeting with them, and now they're going up to see what John Heacock's doing. That's funny. Yeah, funny it, how it that is, works. It's very, it is, seeing the air raid take over, and I, I, I'm – and it is yeah watching SEC. watching pat mahomes yeah, like watching pat watching the chiefs just torch everybody uh, and even the rams too like watching watching those teams and, and the pa- the patriots are doing it you know watching them just completely torch teams with with big 12 style offenses has been a oh it's been amazing I, as a as a person that's not a fan of an nfl team i just kind of watch games here and there now i've been watching a lot more of the bears and the packers recently with david and, and uh alan lazard doing their thing Shout out to Alan Lazard for having a good day today. Um, but, you know, watching that has been just an absolute delight. Because I remember a couple of years ago, my buddy who doesn't – he did not previously follow college football particularly closely. He was a big NFL guy. Now he watches more college. Um, I told him, as I like, coming out, I was like, he, I mean, watch, watch Pat Mahomes. He's really good. Um, and sure as shit, two years later, he's an MVP and he's Pat Mahomes. You know, widely considered, like, the heir apparent to the greatest quarterback in the league. You know, even you know, there's an argument that he's already he, you know, he's in that top three already, you know. So it's you know, watching watching the NFL adopt the Big Twelve style of football after the entire country, after the entirety of college football, just likes to make fun of it and say, oh, it's just gimmicky, it's not real football, la 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 la. Well, the NFL thinks it's real enough, and and that's something that, that Philip and I actually had had talked about is that you know the 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 Big Twelve. It seems to be ahead of everybody, and and what's happened recently is that a lot of the offenses have gone now more towards the run heavy because the defenses had to get so small to handle all the spread concepts yep. and all of that. So now, yep. where you can make the most impact is by having a really good power run game that doesn't look like your traditional power run game that can still use some of those spread right. concepts. And, uh-huh. and so, you know, th- the Big Twelve has gotten really good about innovating their offense, and then having their defense catch up and the rest of the, the nation, both at, you know, at the professional and at the, the, the college level are using that information. And of course, 
they get more credit because they're seen as kind of the the bigger conferences. Right. In in the Big 12 it's always been if you're not a, if your defense isn't a step ahead right. they're two steps behind. And all of a sudden now every all the, the rest of the country is just starting to catch up and now they're saying like wow, look at this. Look how great LSU is. One of the greatest college football oh, offenses we've don't ever get seen. Me going on this. <laughs> and and I'm like, dude, they're doing exactly what every Big 12 team has been doing for the last especially decade. when they've like, played SEC teams in the postseason. And that's and that's still my that's still I I I think I posted about it maybe yesterday or something like that from my personal account saying like you know it's it's really easy for the SEC to perpetuate this narrative when all they play is SEC teams and you know we and we know that a lot of their offenses are just well garbage. if you ask Jim Moore and Jonathan Vilma they'd still take LSU's defense over which is funny because Jonathan Jonathan Vilma went to Miami he's not even an SEC guy so I, I'm not sure he's what been the is there that's but, where you yeah. make your money paycheck I guess. I mean, yeah. You got Emmanuel Acho well, in there, dude. Who just sounds like an idiot too, and you're like, what's, let's get what's, that guy oh out God. of here. This is what happens when you put Texas put people. Dusty the Vortex up in up in Bristol. There you go. Put Matt, put Matt McConaughey on. <laughs> if we're gonna, if we're gonna have garbage sports, if we're gonna have garbage sports takes, at least make it entertaining. Hey guys, a couple of things before we go. Just a reminder, make sure you're subscribed to the 1012 podcast so you don't miss a single episode during the football season. Two, rate and review the show. Five stars, please. It helps guests get the word out about the show to other people. Plus, we just like to know what you like and don't like. Just if you're going to give us one star, let us know why. We appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to be part of our first mailbag episode this month, shoot us your question. You can DM us on Twitter, at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast, or you can shoot it to us in an email. That's 1012podcast, T-E-N, number 12, word podcast, at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.